and help us to hear what you have to say and not what Joel might say. Lord, we pray you will transform us in an ongoing way into the image of Christ, even because of this day. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. Well, good morning to all of you. Really fantastic to see you. And I think uh, Steve hit it right on the nose. You look glorious and excited and, and just uh, ready to go as Christ's ambassadors to a world that is uh, lost and hurting. You know, uh, in this season of uncertainty and uh, uncharted waters, I want you to know that our God was not surprised by this event or, or this year. And as it progresses, he knew about it before the beginning of time. And we have this unique and incredible opportunity to continue to be his ambassadors uh, to a terrified world really trying to make sense of it all, and uh, part of that world may be living on, on your street, uh, your neighbors, those that you meet uh, at work, wherever they are. So let's continue to anticipate those unique moments and uh, be uh, instant in season and out of season. You know, I have this really fun responsibility at World Compassion to call our partners, especially those who have supported us financially and uh, obviously to thank them but I also typically ask them you know do you have any prayer concerns anything I can pray with you about and so often they do and often it's prayer for their children and grandchildren to come to Christ or come back to Christ so a prayer I often pray is that these children might have a revelation of Christ maybe even akin to what Paul had on the road to Damascus that they would repent, that they would remember what they were taught as children and come back and embrace Christ completely as Lord and Savior. I remember recently talking to one partner who was so excited. He was just explaining how he is so excited to be alive today, in this day, uh, to see what God will do and to, uh, as he put it, in this end time, I think Jim might uh, address some of that in the seminar, uh, uh, to see how God brings about uh, much prophecy. So we are living in a unique time and in a unique moment. Allow me to read a number of scriptures this morning that describe the love of God. I've been really meditating on that reality a lot over the last uh, couple of weeks and really much longer than that. And uh, in fact, I, I want to say at the outset, I'm going to read a good number of scriptures this morning. So uh, be prepared to hear God's word. Allow it to powerfully work in your lives. Romans uh, 8.35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship? or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, 
neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Dear friends, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not COVID, not rioting, not terrorism, not every crazy thing that is happening all around us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. I was really blessed, Hallett, by all the songs you sang. So many of them spoke about nothing but the blood of Jesus. I'll touch on that a lot this morning, actually. And uh, this last couple of weeks, I've, I've listened to the hymn, The Love of God is Greater Far. We all know it so well. And uh, just been blessed by the lyrics of that song. Frederick Lehman, Hallett, you'll be able to tell the story better than I, but wrote the first two stanzas of this song in the early 1900s. 1917, he was at a Midwestern camp meeting on his way to California, and the preacher that day ended his sermon by the words that became the third stanza of the love of God is greater far. And he told the story that these words were found etched on the wall of uh, an insane asylum, and as the uh, inmate was carried to his grave, they found what he had written on the wall. And we have sung them many times. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? And every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. And in the chorus, the love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forever endure. The saints, that's us, the saints and angels' song. The love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forever endure the saints and angels' song. A verse that I've, uh, or a couple of verses that I've thought of a lot over the last year, actually. Paul's words to Ephesians, a prayer that he prays, for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Karl Barth, a well-known Swiss theologian of the 20th century, was once asked his greatest thought. His answer, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Here's a man that wrote 
at least 50 books, maybe many more than that. And he's a quotable guy. Let me give you one of his quotes. This much is certain, that we have no theological right to set any sort of limits to the loving kindness of God, which has appeared in Jesus Christ. Our theological duty is to see and understand it as being still greater than we had seen before. I'm not sure all that he meant by that, but the love of God is so great that in this time we will never fully comprehend it. I believe it'll take eons of time in eternity for us to hear the backstory of how God loved us, how he provided for us, how he made a way for us when there seemed to be no way. But I love what Bart said, his greatest thought, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Let me tell you what I'd like to tell you this morning, and then I'll attempt to tell you, and then you can tell me later if I told you what I told you that I would tell you. If there was another song that we could have sung, uh, in fact, we sang that song partially, and there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. You know, I've been singing that song since I was a little boy, first in Finnish and now in English for many decades. It is a powerful song, and I'll be touching on the blood of Jesus uh, in a, quite a few scriptures here in just a moment. Uh, so I'd like to talk about a couple of things. The greatest gift ever offered to mankind in the history of all creation. And I'd like to talk about what it cost God the Father to give this gift. I'd also like to just touch on briefly the reality that if we embrace this gift, we can walk with God the rest of our lives in great peace, even in COVID-19 times and in every other time that we may walk in. Paul said it so clearly, and Billy Graham preached on this so often. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. John 14, 27, Jesus' own words, peace, and he's saying that to us today. I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You know that, and I touched on that couple of weeks ago, that is the most repeated command in Scripture. Fear not, do not be afraid. Jesus says, my peace I give unto you. And then uh, if there's time, I'd like to just touch on the fact that he invites us to a Sabbath rest. In fact, I pray that all of us are, are practicing this in, at some level, but we are invited to have a Sabbath once a week. Our Father uh, created this world in six days, and he chose to rest on the seventh day. And he invites each of us to do the same. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work. 1 John 3, 1 has been just a joyous verse for me over the last while. Uh, by the way, I want to um, invite uh, 
Our family has arrived. It's a little late. I'm sorry about that. They apologize. I'm Sir Ruthie, Amia, Greg, Emma, Ali, uh, William, and Melly the dog didn't come, I guess. Okay, so you guys are, are all welcome. We are so giddy happy uh, that the Perkins have come all the way from California, not, not just for a month or two, but they have come for a year of sabbatical rest. And it's, it's an amazing story. They'll have to tell it to you, but... Welcome, guys, ladies, and uh, so great to have you this morning. So, uh, anyway, a verse that I, I love so much, 1 John 3, 1, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are, guys, children of God. What an incredible, incredible reality. Peter said it this way, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him. That's what we're to do daily, declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Abraham Lincoln, of course, was one of my favorite, my favorite president, actually, and for you all, I'm sure you love the, the stories. One of, uh, one of my favorites uh, is that of Tad Lincoln. Do you remember Tad? He was the uh, uh, youngest son of the Lincolns and uh, just a favorite of Abraham's. And uh, Tad kind of had the run of the White House and uh, just a real prankster. I, I read that he would get the fire hose and, you know, shoot uh, visitors with the fire hose. I think that's cool. I mean, you know, especially on a hot day, you know, that's great. So he kind of was a prankster and just got away with just almost anything because he was the president's son. And one thing that was so amazing is that uh, Abraham Lincoln said to Tad, you know, he loved him so much. He said, hey, Tad, if you have to see me, if I'm in a cabinet meeting or, you know, doing whatever, meeting another king or whatever, you just come on in and uh, I'll just walk in. So he had total access to uh, the president's Oval Office at any time. And you know what? That's, that's who we are. We're the children of God. We have access to the Father. Uh, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, that's really important, according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that what we, that we have, what we ask for, we are a part of the royal family, the family of God. We have access. We are in his presence, even right now. Well, let's pause for a few minutes once again to try to continue to comprehend the cost of God's love for us. The price that had to be paid for our redemption so that sinful man could be reconciled to a holy God. This is where we sing a verse of there's power, power, power in the blood of Jesus. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5.21 God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, 
that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. That is an incredible, incredible statement. Just try to just be, begin to imagine that. All my sin, all of your sin, all of the sins of mankind that have been committed or will be committed, God put on his own son. He was actually rejected by the Father. The Father turned his face because he couldn't, couldn't stand to see that sin. And uh, Jesus took our sin, all of our sin, in exchange. He gives us his gift of righteousness. One of the many things that happened on the cross, an incredibly unbelievable price. I watched the closing scenes of the Passion, uh, the uh, Mel Gibson film again this couple of days ago. And, and the crucifixion scene is, is so unbelievable, incredible. Jesus hanging on the cross, rejected by his Father with our sins, it is, is beyond description. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The Revised Standard says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. Oral Roberts would have wanted that version. Abundant life. We need to recognize that that is the absolute stated purpose of our enemy, to kill, destroy, and to... Uh, to uh, Steal, steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus gives us life, eternal life. We are new creatures in Christ. Derek Prince, uh, some of you recognize his name. Uh, he was an Anglican minister, really came to Christ in Africa during World War II and was very uh, much used in the charismatic renewal. He says in his book, Atonement, all of us, are dependent on God for life. Jesus said, I give you life. All of us are dependent on God for life, and the only channel of eternal life that God has given us is the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of his Son. Romans 5, 7 and 8. I'm going to read some scriptures now. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hebrews 9.22 In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And going on in Hebrews 9:26, the second part of that verse, but now Jesus has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, 
but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. I'd like to now read a prophetic scripture from Leviticus 17, 11, and I spent some time uh, studying this verse, particularly with uh, the help of uh, Derek Prince's uh, teaching on the atonement. Leviticus 17, 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. In my full life study Bible, uh, uh, there's a comment on this verse, the life of a creature is in the blood. According to God's amazing plan, before the beginning of time, his one and only son would shed his own blood to make atonement for the sins of all mankind. As Jesus Christ shed his lifeblood on the cross, he substituted his life for the sinner's life. Because his life was without sin and perfect before God, his blood is of infinite worth and results in perfect salvation for all who accept and follow him. Uh, Derek Prince further comments on this verse. I think what he says is helpful. He says, the meaning of Leviticus 17:11 in the Old Testament Hebrew, in, 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 the, in, the, in the Old Testament Hebrew, there is a very interesting word, nephish, which means primarily soul or life or person. When Genesis 2-7 says that man became a living being, it uses the word nephish. Man became a nephish. Adam was made a living soul. His life depended on the breath of God that was breathed into him. And you know what? Each one of us are dependent entirely on God for every breath we breathe. Only God generates life. And uh, let's just go a little bit further on, on this thought of nephesh. When Exodus 21, 23, 25 refers to, the, to life for life, the, Hebrews, the Hebrew is nephesh for nephesh, soul for soul. If one person is killed in a crime, for example, the other soul has to pay the penalty with his life. In the opening phrase of Leviticus 17, 11, the life of the flesh, the Hebrew word for life, once again, is nephesh. The soul of the flesh is in the blood. Derek goes on, what is the significance of this? Man possesses spirit, soul, and body. When the spirit leaves, he ceases breathing. When the soul leaves, his blood no longer flows. The soul of the flesh is in the blood. And so God says, I have given it, the soul uh, or the life, to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. In other words, one soul has to make atonement for another soul. Since the soul resides in the blood, blood must be shed in an atonement, the giving of one life for another. Let's look at the great atonement chapter Isaiah 53, the last verse. In the closing verse of the chapter, we see what the servant of the Lord has accomplished in his sufferings. We read these words. I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out 
his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressions. This is still Derek. Some translations use the word life instead of soul, uh, but uh, he feels like in this instance, soul is the better translation. Soul is, uh, how did Jesus pour out his soul? To death through his blood, his soul was given on behalf of all humanity as Jesus bled on the cross. Jesus died our death. Jesus carried the sin of all mankind that we might receive the most incredible gift ever given in all of creation, that we might receive the life of Christ. Does this make sense? Are we tracking here? Okay. We'll just read a few more scriptures here and maybe a little comment on uh, the Sabbath as well. Colossians 1, 20 through 21. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You know, my dad, he was my best friend. If I ever had one phone call that I could make, it would have been to my dad. We just shared life in every way. It's one of his great statements. If you love someone, you must do something. In other words, you must do something to demonstrate that love. I want you to know God did something. The most incredible story ever told, the story of redemption, the true story of history, it is the story of his story. God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 1, 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Because of this amazing gift, we have been redeemed. In John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Because of this gift, we have fellowship with one another and with our Father, and his blood continually purifies from all sin. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. We are made holy because of the blood of Jesus. Revelation 7, 14. These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And then Revelation 12, 11, They overcame him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Terry Laws has preached on that verse many times and he expounds to say that uh, they overcame the devil by testifying what the blood of the lamb did in their lives and they used God's word to overcome. They had been, uh, test they testified that we are new creatures, that we've been sanctified, we've been set apart, we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Let's stop for just uh, a moment also to think about what happens here at TCF 
as we receive communion every Sunday morning. In many ways, it is one of the most important moments of our morning. Some would say it is the most important part of our worship service. John, I heard some amens. I would, I would, I would amen that as well. I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. As we received communion this morning, I think many of us prayed this way. As by faith we take the wafer and by faith trust it to be the body of Christ, and as by faith we drink this juice and by faith believe it to be the blood of Christ, we remain in Christ. We by faith are participating in the blood and body of Christ. It is this same blood that he shed on the cross for my sins and yours. It is his lifeblood that he shed on the cross that we could receive his indescribable gift of eternal life. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread we break a participation in the body of Christ? In a way that I certainly can't fully explain or begin to explain, as we receive communion, we testify that we are in covenant with Christ. His body and his blood that he shed on the cross bring eternal life, the life of Christ, into our lives each time we receive communion. Derek Prince uh, mentioned in his book that he and his wife, his first wife Ruth, uh, she died and he married again, uh, they traveled constantly, and one of the things that they did just to bring some normalcy to their lives is they would do some things every morning, and one of them is Derek would serve communion to his wife, Ruth, every morning, and they would pray this prayer. We thank you that in the blood of Jesus, we receive the life of God, divine, eternal, endless life. So that was Derek's uh, personal and his wife's personal testimony. So much to say, but uh, let me just, uh, just transition for a moment here. For the believer, the love of God impacts every area of our lives. And again, we'll know the backstory, and we'll know the many, many times where God blessed us, provided for us, and... Uh, There'll be time for that. A Chinese Christian lady once said, I know that God does not have favorites, but I know that I'm one of them. <laughs> and uh, you know what? We can all say the same. We are all his favorites. If we would have been, all of us in this room, the only people that were ever born in this world, I absolutely believe God would have sent his son that we could have been redeemed, that we could have fellowship with him. His love impacts every part of our lives. Some of you have heard the song, Blessing. It's being played a lot uh, in the last little while. 
think it comes almost entirely from Exodus 28. For I am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But then listen to the second part. But showing love to a thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commandments. As we keep God's teaching, his heart is to bless us uh, in ways that we can't even comprehend. So let's continue to rejoice in that. And let me just close by just a couple of comments on the Sabbath. I'm trying to example in our home that we need to have a Sabbath rest once a week. And that's going to be this afternoon. Uh, sometimes Saturdays can be that. Ruthie has said many times over the years that in our faith, in Christianity, we are the only religion in the world where God invites us to have a weekly day of rest to worship him. Uh, every other religion has a long list of do this, do this, do this, do this, to please the God that they supposedly worship. But God says, you uh, just come and stop and rest and that is worship, and that is a gift I have for you. Do you remember what Jesus uh, said to the Pharisees when they harassed him and his disciples? It was a Sabbath. They were kind of going to the field, I think having a little, little snack on the grain. And uh, they were ridiculing him, saying, why are you doing this on the Sabbath? And Jesus kindly, but in a wonderful way, rebuked them back and said the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. That is an incredible gift, one of the many ways God shows his amazing love. St. Augustine, in the time of the fall of the Roman Empire, said, you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. And uh, there is this yearning in all of us, just be in God's presence. And so a Sabbath is a, a day when we do things that are not work-related. We don't answer phones. We don't cut the grass. Uh, we'll have a big meal, maybe. Maybe we go for a walk. Maybe we have a bike ride. Maybe just tell stories. Just a day to rest. I've read about the Sabbath, and uh, uh, Mark Homer was the pastor of the church with Darcy Toshiton. He said, by far, the Sabbath is nine out of ten times the best day of our week. You anticipate the Sabbath, you prepare for it like for Christmas, but there's no, you know, all this extra stuff you have to do. And then you have Sabbath, then you live off the Sabbath for the next couple of days, anticipating the next Sabbath. So let's, let's just take that seriously. The word Sabbath comes to us from the Hebrew Shabbat. Uh, the word really means to stop. Simply uh, stop working, stop wanting, stop worrying, just stop. Just give yourself, give, give your... Give your soul a chance to catch up with your body. I mean, just, just have some time to rest. It's a way of being in this world. It's a spirit of restfulness that comes from abiding, from living in the Father's loving presence all week long. But simply just on that day, just saying, hey, this is, this is the Lord's blessing. The Sabbath is made for us to rest, to be renewed. You know, one of our family uh, is... Uh, uh, our Seventh-day Adventists, they live in North Dakota. And there was a study done on the Seventh-day Adventists. And by the way, they are very religious about keeping the Sabbath. And on average, Seventh-day Adventists live 
10 years longer than the average American because they religiously take a day just to rest. And by the way, they have good diets as well. They don't eat a lot of junk food. Uh, no caffeine, no coffee, all those kind of things. But, but yeah, something to think about. Something to think about. And then, let me tell you one, one of my favorite stories again about the Sabbath. Uh, this goes back probably 100, 150 years ago. There was uh, a large group of Christians traveling uh, in a uh, wagon train headed toward Oregon. This is in uh, Richard Foster's book. You have read the story probably. And uh, great people, loved Christ. They would uh, stop every Sabbath day for a Sabbath rest, have a time to let the horses just kind of catch their breath, uh, fix the wagons if they need a little help or whatever. But just, it was a day of rest. But as they're making their way, it's getting to late August, early September, the leaders decided, hey, we need to have a powwow here because the winter is closing in and we've got a long way to go. The Cascades are before us. We need to get over those mountains before the snow comes. So they had this amazing, even tough conversation. And one group said, hey, we've got to forget about Sabbath. We just have to press on, double our speed, because otherwise we're not going to make it. But the other group said, hey, no. We are going to keep the Sabbath. We're going to rest, get, give the horses a break. And uh, so the one group that said, we're going to push on, they took off. The other group just continued at their regular pace and kept the Sabbath. And so I've got one question for you. Which group made it over the Cascades? Heather, you know, tell me. The second group. The first group, they broke down. Uh, all kinds of problems. This group that kept the Sabbath, the Lord bless them. So, there's a lot more that can be said about all of this, but uh, let me just finish by this, this great invitation from Christ. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So wherever you're at, maybe you're on the Zoom call or here, I want you to know that God loves you with an everlasting love. We are participants of the greatest gift that has ever been given. Psalm 55:22 says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. He'll never leave us or forsake us. Let's just have a prayer. Father, I pray that you bless our family of faith. Thank you that you are with us in this time called COVID. Thank you that you're calling us once again, in a new and renewed way to be your evangelists, to share the good news of the gospel to those who are fearful, terrified, just not able to figure out what is happening. Thank you that, Lord, you promise that nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, depth nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God. 
that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I pray a special blessing over everyone in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have need for prayer, uh, you can come uh, and we can pray for you at a distance. But God bless you and uh, remember the Sabbath. God worked six days and he rested the seventh and he invites us to do the same.